Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocalint Podcast. This week, Pocalint's Mike Lowe is here to tell us all about the Samsung Galaxy Unpacked Note 20 launch. What did the company reveal? Should we get excited? And just how much is it all going to cost? I talked to the co-founder and CEO of What Three Words about mapping the world, and Pocalint's Max Freeman Mills has been sleeping on the job. Yes, sleeping on the job, testing the Withings Sleep Analyzer, to be more precise. And he joins us later to tell us what it's all about and whether it's worth the cash. So, Mike, you didn't go anywhere, obviously, but you've been covering this quite a lot. So tell us more about the Note 20 and Note 20 Ultra. Yeah, so it's obviously the, the big premier event for, for Samsung. Um it was an online event, but I was lucky enough to go and uh, see the main launches in uh, in central London just before, which was the Note 20 Ultra and the slightly smaller um, Note 20. So Samsung's really pushing its flagship phones, um, but also there's uh, two tablets, the S7 the S7 Plus. Uh, they also launched another watch and uh, some Galaxy Buds Live earphones as well. So there's plenty of stuff uh, coming out of Samsung's coffers. Wow, that's a lot. Now, normally they have a Note launch in August and then they wait a couple of weeks for an EFA launch, which is normally where we see the tab and stuff like that. So let's focus on uh, the Note. How does this carry the journey on from last year's last year's entrant? So last year we had the um, Note 10 Plus. Um, and this is one of the things about this phone. Everyone or, or many people are kind of calling it just another Note, you know. Um, and it kind of sounds like a bit of a negative to put it that way because it hasn't perhaps kind of evolved things hugely but on the sort of flip side of that people talk about it in that way because it's so successful and it's got so much right so whilst the evolution of it is fairly small um, you know it's one of those phones that really it doesn't need to do too much more because it's doing things so well but mm. Kind of critically to it, it, it improves the screen. So one of the themes this year has been higher refresh rates on the screens. This now has a, or the Ultra only actually, has a 120 hertz refresh rate, um, which responds dynamically depending on the content that you're looking at to help smooth things out. Um, and also the the big thing about the Note always has been that it has an integrated stylus, a little pen so you can take notes and you know scroll and doodle and do what you want. Um, and they've kind of improved that a little bit more, um, not in that the, the response of the pen is slightly quicker. So on the Ultra, you get like a nine millisecond response time, which when you're drawing just feels like it's almost like pen on paper, really. Um, and yeah, the, the features of that have slightly improved too. Um, one of them is, for me, a total gimmick, which is that you can sort of wave it around like a wand and it'll right. do things um, in the air. But actually, it's a little bit hit and miss. And for me, I kind of don't, think they should have worried about pushing that too much. But Samsung Samsung always likes to do something like that. I remember way back when with their their kind of their eye tracking stuff where if you looked away from the screen the YouTube videos would pause and you know and and things like that which you think just and the hand waving across the 
front of the screen, wasn't it, to be able to control things? Yeah, lots of companies play around with those kind of things. Some car manufacturers do it too, and you're sort of you know waving your hand in the air trying to get your car system to do stuff. The the idea of it's really good, you know, but sometimes an idea could be great, and then you put it into practice, and you just feel a little bit silly, um, mm. or it just doesn't work every time, and that's the problem with this. But I, I kind of find it like it's a point of distraction because it's one of those things that doesn't work. It's too easy to focus on it. But actually, when you get the, the S pen out, the, the stylus, and start writing and taking notes, it's really good at, at handling that. And it gives you lots of different features so you can you know convert the writing into text. You can save to PDF. And later this year, which is one of the new things they're adding, is more Microsoft integration. So there'll be some proper OneNote and uh, Outlook integration that will just help everything be a bit more seamless, really. Right. And so if you are a note user already, is this a worthy upgrade? Is it just a, is it kind of like a, a, a small upgrade that you think, well, I could actually probably live without, or is it something you should probably, you know, if you were using an earlier note, drop, drop everything and go get this one. It depends what you're using the note for. So, um, you know, ultimately I see it as if you want a flagship phone, there's the S20, there's plenty of other brands to look at as well. If you want a phone that has integrated stylus, there's, pretty much nothing better than this for that kind of use. Um, not that other things haven't been upgraded. I mean, in the Ultra, they've really gone gone in pretty hard on the cameras as well. So um, there's like a 108 megapixel main sensor. You've got a 12 megapixel five time zoom, um, a wide angle um, that are featured in a frankly massive like lump on the back of that phone, mm. um, which unfortunately I don't think looks great, but um, it's because they've made the phone a little bit thinner than last year. So it helps in holding it but then the protrusion of the camera can't be any smaller because they take up a lot of space those kind of zoom units you know so i wonder how long it'll be before we get to the old traditional like compact camera design where there is just a full lens on the back of these things I, well who knows we've almost reached it already i think so you know there's a lot of tech they've crammed in it's kind of like taken everything that samsung's learned so far and kind of squashed it into this phone um which is great you know some really good stuff there it's whether those extra bits are something you really want or whether you're just needing a you know fast smooth stylus phone then actually last year's will continue to work very well um this one just has you know those extra kind of tick boxes and uh, it will certainly appeal um if not perhaps for the price quite so much yeah now i know your focus at the event and your time was limited was mainly on the note 20 and 20 ultra um but that wasn't all they launched. As you said, they launched the Tab S7, uh, Galaxy Watch 3, I think it is, isn't it? Um, and the Galaxy Buds Live. Uh, is there anything to report home about those three devices? Or are they really just much of the muchness of, of improving what they've already had? Um, yeah, it's you know it's kind of like keeping their, their ore in the pool in a way. They're, they're incremental upgrades. And the tablet market is kind of... I think, as we all know, it's slowed down significantly, really. Um, but Samsung does make a really decent tablet. Um, Apple, as much as it owns that kind of space entirely, Samsung is probably realistically its only competitor. So, you know, they put a nice OLED screen in the uh, S7 Plus. It's a uh, it's decent size. It, you know, it works all very nice and smoothly. Um, don't have the price on it yet, so I'm not too sure how that will sit in the order of things. But it's really just showing that they can continue to make stuff across the board competitively and kind of give it to Apple as well, I suppose. And so going back to the phones briefly, how much are they going to cost? So the Note 20 Ultra, um, which only comes in 5G, which is another little upgrade they've done, uh, is from 1179 in pounds. So certainly uh, not a cheap entry. 
And then the Note 20 um, will start from 849. And I haven't spoken about the Note 20 a lot, actually. Um, it, it's kind of a little bit smaller, um, but also it's got some kind of not questionable features, but the back of it isn't glass. They call it glastic, um, which I believe mm. it's plastic that feels a little bit like glass compared to the Ultra where they've kind of put everything in there and that's Gorilla Glass 7 and so on. I think that's like glass and perspex or something. I don't know, that's strange. <laughs> I really can't actually work it out, but having held them side by side, you can feel the difference, but I get the feeling that if you bought one in isolation, you wouldn't really know. So you're kind of not losing as such. But at the same time, if you're charging 849 for a phone, um, do you want a sort of plasticky back on it? Not really. You'd expect glass, I think, at that level. Should people, I suppose the final question with all of these devices, if you're a Samsung fan, should you be excited? I think there's plenty in there, yeah. So be excited for the cameras. Um, don't be excited for the camera bump. But, you know, be excited if you want a stylus integrated phone, then this is the one that beats all the others. Still to come. Max gives us his verdict on the Withings Sleep Analyzer. Look, sure, yeah, I think it's one of those where Withings' idea would be that you sleep with the analyzer under your mattress, you wear one of their lovely hybrid smartwatches during the day, and then, you know, once a week you weigh yourself using one of their, as you say, scales. Fed up of never being able to find the exact location of a gig he was playing at, Chris Sheldrick got together with a friend to create what three words. The result was a patchwork of three meter squares across the world that you can locate by using just three individual words. Five years later, millions are now using the service and even larger businesses such as electrical retailer AO.com have integrated with what three words to enable their customers to provide their three word address so that deliveries can be made accurately. And it's not just businesses. Emergency services across the UK have also been using the system, allowing ambulance crews, planning teams, volunteers and delivery drivers to identify specific entrances and delivery points to 42 key hospitals around the UK. I started by asking the co-founder how the service actually works. So What3Words is a global address system. Um, so it's for all those times in the world where you know, a street address either doesn't exist or is not accurate enough. Um, and so what we've done is we've divided the whole world into three meter squares and you've got 57 trillion three meter squares across the world. We've named each one with its own random sequence of three words from the dictionary. So something like table, chair, spoon, or coffee, branch, pyramid. They're all names hmm. of each of those three meter squares around the world. And so what it means is that you can, you can simply find the three word address for any three meter square. Uh, you know, I could say to you now, table, chair, spoon. You can then type that into the What3Words app or any other app service that supports What3Words, and you can then navigate to that same three meter square. So it's, it's like a code or just a very, very simple way to communicate location. Well, apart from the fact that I'm now, now intrigued where table, chair, spoon is, um, <laughs> is that like your, is that, is that a specific thing? You... Uh, it definitely is a three word address. I couldn't tell you offhand where it is, but it's easy <laughs> enough to find out. There's suddenly a load of uh, Pocket podcast readers suddenly descending on, on, on this three metre square, trying to go, what is this? Is this the centre of everything? Yeah, it's like a tree um, in Arizona or something, yeah. Um, so that's, 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 that's brilliant how it works. How, how did you come up with the idea? Well, I actually, two, two reasons. Like one, I live in a village in Hertfordshire and basically everyone has house names and there's no street numbering system. So it's been carnage as, as long as I can remember ever trying to get a delivery delivered first time often sort of ends up with the neighbors and we all take them to each other um and then i actually spent 10 years working in the music business 
And wherever we had gigs around the world, um, you know, it could have been back entrance of Wembley Stadium, you know, gate four, six B or something, or you're trying to find a villa halfway up a, a mountain in Italy. Um, the address just always took everyone to the wrong place. And I would be on sort of simultaneous phone calls trying to tell everyone, no, you know, reverse past the pub, back on the lamppost and turn right. So I, I, I thought I could solve it just by getting everyone to type in the latitude and longitude, the GPS coordinates. Um, but basically, your average person is very resistant to typing in eight-digit latitude, then a comma, and an eight-digit longitude. Quite a lot of confusion about how the degrees work and just the whole kind of input mechanism. They weren't really made for smartphone users. And so the idea was really, how can we simplify that? Um, because if 16 digits is just a bit fiddly and it's, it's there, you know, the tech all over the world, but people don't use it, we just wanted to make something that everyone could use. So. I sat down with a friend of mine who's a mathematician um, and he and I sort of came up with that core idea. And then a third friend uh, who, who'd run a, a language business, Jack. Um, so kind of the three of us put, put the whole thing together. And so how did you choose? What's the what's the magic formula of the three words? Why not four words? Why not two? So the idea was how can we get as, as sort of a shorter thing to remember as possible? Um, so if we could have done two words, then then we definitely would have done because you know table chair is easier than table chair spoon to remember. But you you don't have enough combinations uh, with two words. With two words, you could probably fill I don't know the, about the size of the Isle of Wight or maybe a bit bigger. There just isn't enough mm. combinations. So you need the third word to be able to have enough to cover the whole world. And how do you go about choosing the words themselves? So we we basically take a dictionary that's kind of a starting point in each of the languages that we we have so we have um, 44 languages and we will then sort of start with that and then we'll strip out words that we think are not suitable for this use so for example the words that are homophones words like here which you could spell h-e-r-e or h-e-a-r or analyze where there's a different spelling in the uk and the us uh, we take those words out so that if i say to you let's meet at where they're here you're not having to go, hang on, how are you spelling where? How are you spelling there? How are you spelling here? So um, it, it's kind of like a customized process in every language. And you know, different languages have their own complexities. Um, and then we sort of end up with, with this um, word list. And then we say, well, look, we've got more users in the UK than we do in the Atlantic Ocean. So we'll put the easier words in the UK. And then, you know, in the Atlantic Ocean, you might have dodecahedron, cryogenic, um, flatteringly or something so a bit a bit wordy super super califragilisticexpialidocious exactly that's probably in like the antarctic um but <laughs> but um but yeah so that that's kind of how it works and, and then we just replicate the same process for each language and so can you change the words that you get for your square or is it you know locked into if i've got you know something yeah. awful like fat smelly you know whatever can i say i don't really want that as my so, as my three words yeah i mean we we um we don't allow people to change the words because it's really important it's a fixed system and one of the things you get from a fixed system is that it's just one piece of code small piece of code um that runs our algorithm and it means that we can actually give that to any of our partners who need something to run offline so for example um what three words is built into mercedes cars um and they require us to actually just send them the code. You can't have something where the words are changing and then you've kind of got to keep providing updates to everybody. Or let's mm. say some of the ambulance services and fire services, they run all of their tech um, in, their own, in their own offices uh, without internet connection. So 
the fact that it's just one fixed system that doesn't change is actually much simpler in practice and also means you'll get far more people to actually adopt it. And that's that was my next question, really, is is how are people using this? I presume it's not just music no. promoters trying to find a wedding. <laughs> not just lost musicians. Um, no. I think it's it's a whole diverse range of people and businesses, which I guess is consistent with how we as people use addresses every day. We, we almost don't think about it. Um, so so navigation apps is where we started. Um, and there's a lot of them, you know, have special features like offline navigation, so NavMe. We got into all these and then we started going into cars. Um, so Mercedes was the first car company. Uh, we're now in Tata Motors, biggest car company in India. Um, and we've now expanded also into the delivery world. So um, especially over the last few months, um, since a lot of retailers in the UK started doing deliveries for the first time, uh, we've, we've now had something like eight times as many checkout pages in the UK actually have a field on there saying, input your three-word address if you know it, because they really want to find people's house first time and not be driving around um, villages getting lost. Um, and you know anything to drone software we're now built into uh, people use us for, for travel maybe they've got a bnB which is really hard to find in the Welsh valleys so people add it to the contact page so many different ways that we use addresses people are now using three addresses and do you think there'll be a point where you can take that that three meters down to one meter or is that does that not seem to serve a purpose um, I, I don't think there's an immediate need to. I mean, smartphone accuracy is about three meters at best anyway. It doesn't look like changing anytime soon. But also, if, if you've arrived at the right three meter square, I mean, that's that's pretty small. It's sort of, I don't know, a few chairs pushed together. Um, you, you should be able to find where you're going, where you're looking for. I mean, we're, we're not trying to be something for those, you know, who really are doing professional surveying or something like that where you need millimeter accuracy. We're trying to help a normal person get to where they want to go. And so if I'm a, a regular, you know, if I'm a, a listener of the, of the Pocalimp podcast, how can I, what would, what would you think the main use for me would be to use it? So to start with, it would be probably just to use the what through words app with friends or family or people, you know. Um, so if you're out and about going on hikes, walks, anything like that, you can simply find three-word addresses in the What Three Words app. And then the very first thing to do would be to find your front door, which is just a great way to just learn the system. And then, um, you know, you, you I give suppose it... that sense of that sense of trying to find someone in the middle of a park, you can easily pinpoint them to whereabouts near that tree that they are. Exactly. It's a very simple, you know, we're, we're going to meet, um, we're going to meet here at, at a certain time. Um, so, so you simply just using it like that is a great way to get started. Step two is then to go, well, actually, what, what other app services can I use it in? So if you go to wallthroughworld.com slash products, there's a huge list there of all of the different services that you can, um, that you can use it with. And you, obviously, lots of people, you have an API, I believe. So, you know, other partners, obviously, people like Mercedes and, and Tata coming in to, to use that. What's the most sort of, uh, two questions here, what's the most sort of, inspiring one that you've seen using and what's the most unexpected one where you're like wow i really when i created this business you know and it came up with this idea like i did not expect someone to use it in that way um ah oh, it, it's it's kind of interesting. i mean i think to be honest like the fact that the uk emergency services have jumped on one through us in a way that has it's been an enormously humbling experience i mean it started off with us seeing sort of one tweet as somebody had had called up and said, there's a fire happening and here's the three-word address. I think we just sort of assumed that location was transmitted 
electronically um, between our phones and the emergency services on 999. But it's simply not the case. That is actually very kind of irregular and up and down if that works or not. So just seeing that kind of use, I think we were all like, wow, that's that's real world usage for important situations. And then, you know, only about a year later, we're now at a yeah, situation where we had first 50%, then 60%, now three quarters of emergency services in the UK um, are using what three words actively. Mm. And, and every day we see on social media stories of how it's been used. I think something like that does just take you a bit by surprise, even though you kind of know when you're making your technology and you have aspirations for these kind of usage. Um, I, th I think it's just the, the the rate that it's been done and, and seeing a, a whole sector take it up and then the public also engaging you know it, it needs to be both ways around the public have to be familiar with the tech in order to to use it uh, with the call center operators so i'd say on one end of the spectrum that that's been an amazing thing and then just seeing all of the places in the world where people are using it for i don't know to tag where lampposts are uh, if you're a you know if you're a city council um, even people are using it to report flight tipping tweeting to their council i mean i, I would have never envisaged that it wasn't on the initial <laughs> initial business plan and um you know first government deal we ever had was with the postal service of mongolia again it it wasn't what we envisaged when we sat in the room and came up with the idea but you realize there's a lot of people in the world who who need a solution and what's what's next so next for us is about um getting what three words cemented um in the uk and abroad so at the moment, we're, we're very synonymous with emergency response, and that's been a, a really successful way for people to understand about the system. But, but I think what people may not know now is quite how many e-commerce sites will accept what three words on the checkout page, how many different cars are starting to have it in their in-car navigation system, um, different ride-hailing apps, um, and this kind of thing. So I think just everybody in the UK, we want to just see that three-word address on a contact page, and you just go, great know what I can do with that, know how to use it, uh, and, and onwards. Um, and similarly, abroad as well. So we want to take exactly what we've done here in the UK um, and start doing that abroad. So let's say India, where we've got that Tata Motors deal done, it's in the cars. We're now thinking, gosh, India is a huge country, billion people. Mm. But they're one of the ones where they've really never developed an address system. If anyone's traveled there, they'll know that it's often landmark-based, how you get from A to B. So there's so much opportunity there. Um, for us to be, again, cemented in local life. Um, we've, we've developed over 10 Indian-specific um, languages now, so to make sure that this is, um, this is something people are going to ideally use in their first language. There's obviously a lot more to go. Um, India's very yeah. rich um, linguistically. So I, th I think it's about scaling a business internationally now. If you're anything like us, then you might think sleep tracking is a bit of a conflicting concept. After all, if you're having trouble sleeping, then is it useful to have advice telling you exactly that? Add to the fact that the main barrier for many is the discomfort of wearing a wrist-worn device to bed, and you have to question whether it's worth the effort at all. But that's where the Withings Sleep Analyzer might be a worthy alternative. It slips under your mattress, doesn't involve you actually wearing anything, and monitors your sleep to relay the data back to you when you wake up. Pocalence Max Freeman Mills is here to tell us more. So, Max, you've been uh, sleeping on the job. <laughs> That's right, yeah. For the last few months, I've had the Withings Sleep Analyzer under my mattress. Um, 
which is about as uh, unobtrusive, I'd say, as you can get when it comes to sleep tracking. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of flat mat that, as I say, you slip under your mattress and forget about. Uh, and each morning, uh, it'll connect to your Wi-Fi and sync some data to your phone that you can then uh, have a look at. It gives you a, a sleep score every morning, effectively, to let you know how your night's rest was. Um, it's basically perfect for those people who are curious to know how they're sleeping, but are finding it a little bit tough to sleep overnight with, say, a fitness tracker on their wrist, mm. or, or don't feel quite as comfortable having one of the kind of camera-based bedside systems. Um, and it's retailing at about £120, um, which I'd say is a pretty reasonable price for what you're getting, which is an absolutely in-depth set of data. Yeah, so the question I have with that is, surely... If I've fallen asleep and then I've woken up multiple times in the night because I'm stressed or worried about something or probably just been playing on my phone before I uh, went to bed, how, what data does it give you and how useful was that data for you to act on? Well, you've kind of cut to the quick there because that's, that's my key hesitation over recommending this to people. If you're really curious about exactly how you're sleeping, it can tell you all sorts of things from the depth of your sleep to the uh, phases in which you were in REM sleep to whether you made any noise during the night. It can even, in fact, detect sleep apnea, uh, which is makes it one of the only trackers that's actually uh, medically certified to be able to do that. However, the tips it can give you on how to improve your sleep are actually kind of the things you already knew. Go to bed earlier, try to get a more regular pattern. Mm. Um, so, for example, I was repeatedly told that I was having a bad depth of sleep, but there's not a huge amount you can actually do to change that yourself. So if you're prone to anxiety, I'm not totally convinced that this sleep data is something that would necessarily be a good influence on you. And do you think that's the case? Is there any attempt to try and gamify this? You know, like, do you get you get a, do you get a sleep score at the end of the day that says, oh, you've got this point and then and, and tips to make it better? And then did that make you more stressed to get a score if they did give you? Did they give you a sleep score? It does give you a sleep score out of 100. Um my personal feeling was that uh, whatever sleep score I was assigned, firstly, it generally felt accurate to how I felt in the morning. But as you say, um, it, in terms of improving that score, I'm not totally convinced that that's something that's actually useful for one's kind of mental health and well-being. However, obviously, that's very much down to the individual. So if you often wake up wondering why you feel kind of a bit less rested than normal, this is a great way to get an insight into that and to see when you woke up and how long for and, and all sorts of little uh, details like that. And how much does this cost? You said you said at the beginning. Yeah, so it's £120. And that's another kind of slight hesitation. If you've already got a Fitbit in your life, for example, which might cost, you know, around that same figure, you're likely to already have access to sleep tracking if you're willing to wear it overnight. So it's it's a fairly niche proposition, but I think Withings knows that. It knows that it's for those people who want in-depth sleep data and don't want to have to wear anything in order to get it. So, you know, in terms of worth, I could see it, you know, justifying that price tag. Now, Withings obviously have a number of other devices. Does this tie into, I presume this ties straight into the app to obviously get all the data, but does this, would this work towards building up a 360 of, of your life with their scales, for example, or, or other products they make? For sure, yeah. I think it's one of those where Withings' idea would be that you sleep with the analyzer under your mattress, you wear one of their lovely hybrid smartwatches during the day, and then, you know, once a week you weigh yourself using one of their, as you say, scales. And that would really give you a, a full sense of how your health's going. And also, frankly, um, especially in the US, where I think these integrations are a bit more common, it also gives you a bunch of data that you can easily send to your doctor ahead of a checkup to make sure they know what's been going on with you. 
Now, the final question I have, which you might be reluctant to answer is, is it still under your mattress? It is. <laughs> it's under there right now. Um, and to be honest, I don't think I'm going to take it out. The reason being, uh, I lose nothing by collecting this data. When I check it, I get some information. When I forget to check it, nothing lost. So I think I'll be keeping it in there for now. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. <laughs>